Hello and welcome to the Respectfully podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Pope, and I'm happy to invite you to share in this latest hairdressing conversation. For this edition of Respectfully, I was joined by four hairdressers to discuss the way our industry is, or perhaps isn't, working well with Afro-textured hair. The Black Lives Matter demonstrations in summer 2020 had thrown a light on something of a skills gap and a lack of opportunity for training younger hairdressers in working with very coily, curly, Afro-heritage hair types. This in turn begs the question of whether hairdressing is in itself properly serving consumer demand. Over a Zoom chat, we shared our various opinions and ideas on supporting the growth of education and the demand for hairdressers who can work comfortably with Afro-textured hair. I had with me Jackie McIntosh, who works with the VTCT awarding body and is Director of Education for Avalon Europe, which is a company specialising in products for Afro-textured hair. Anne Vett joined us. She is the owner of a carbon-neutral salon in Oxford, an award winner with an international reputation for creating avant-garde and experimental collections. We were joined by Justine Collins, who has been a salon owner and now works as a session stylist. She joins me also in organising hairdressing events for the UK industry. And last but certainly not least, we were joined by Kim Johnson, who is an award-winning hairdresser and team leader at Hype Coiffure Salons in London. Kim has been a hairdresser for 30 years, working with Hype Coiffure for 26 of them and working her magic with all hair types. So have a listen in and I'd be really interested to know what you think. going to ask each of you in turn just to give the listeners a little frame of reference for where where I'm speaking to you and what your sort of hairdressing uh, life is if you like so I shall start with Anne and tell us right hi everyone uh, my name is Anne Vec and I run Anne Vec Salon in Oxford I have the salon this year for 30 years ah, on the 1st of April actually wow. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and the salon cater for every hair type, so okay, brilliant. So I'm very mixed clientele. Yes. And Jackie, tell us a little bit about what what where you are in your hairdressing career at the moment. Ah, uh, hi. Um, I'm Jackie McIntosh. Um, I specialise in all hair types. I work as the director of education for Avalon Europe. That is a manufacturer for textured hair. Afro-Caribbean, I should say, mm-hmm. or American, if you want to put that one spin on it. <laughs> um, currently, I do that as well as I work for VTCT in qualifications. So looking at the standards and ensuring that they meet the needs wow. for industry. Brilliant. Thank you. And Kim, tell us where you are in the hairdressing world at the moment. Yeah, and my name is Kim Johnson. Um, I'm a hairdresser at Hype Couture Hair Salon. I've been working there for 17 years at the Battersea Salon. I've been working with Hype Couture for 26 years and been hairdressing for 30 years and yeah uh, we like everybody else we cover all textured hair as well. Yeah we have a team there and Justine introduce yourself to our listeners and explain your hairdressing credentials. Okay so I'm an ex-salon owner Um, I mainly now though work in session So I work backstage at Fashion Week. I run teams um, at the different capitals, which is really exciting. Um, I mainly work in editorial as well. So not salon 
anymore. Okay, lovely. And anybody who's listened to this regularly will know I have no hairdressing skills whatsoever. Um, but I'm very delighted to have been in the hairdressing industry for a long time. Now, when I started in the 90s, it was very much a sort of what I would consider now to be a segregated industry. We had black hair, we had salons who looked after black Afro hair, and we had white hair salons and it was almost like taboo for them to mix and as a journalist publisher working on trade magazines we were sort of my brief was that we don't do black hair we other magazines do that we just look after white hair in salons and then which now you think back actually it's pretty outrageous that that ever really happened but it did Jackie what would be your view or your sort of a quick fire answer to saying why hasn't that happened before why ha- why were things so separated do you think to be fair I can't relate to that because I've always worked in mixed salons um I think it really does depend on the type of salon that you started your training in um for me I worked at um my, my first salon was a traditional afro salon but then I went to work for one of the original um salon groups which was Robert Fielding and we had a mixed salon in Lewisham Centre at the time, and that was in the 80s. So, you know, that was a mix. Then I went to work for SNL. SNL had the largest salon group in the UK, and we had Ebony and Ivory in Clapham High Street and Ebony and Ivory in Catford, which was a mixed salon within the um, SNL chain. So I think, yes, there has been that um, separation, but I think... It's not been everywhere. I think mainly in some of the mainstream salons, yes. But I can say in my career path, I've always worked in mixed salons. Interesting, really interesting. So, so Kim, what would what would be your response to that? Have you found so you've been at Alcafia for a long time? Have you had mixed? A long time. I've been there. I mean, I have worked in in, in other salons as well. But uh, I come the same place as Jackie. Um, Jackie was my manager. Oh, wow. Um, back in SNL, yeah, she was my my manager, so she took me underneath her wing, and like she said, I I don't recognise just working at Afro Salon. That that came a lot mm-hmm. later on. I I always trained with Afro and European hair, um, right the way through until it became a lot more, I guess, more popular for women of colour to to get their hair done, you know, uh, on a regular, more of a regular basis, because you know when we were growing up, you know, your hair was done at home and with by family members and things like that, and then then obviously in the eighties, like Jackie said, women became a lot more, you know professionals started getting more professional jobs so they started to get their hair done more at the hair salon and that's where you'd seen a lot more black women um coming to the to the to the salon right so it wouldn't have been so historically it wouldn't have been a tradition for black women to go to the salon on a regular basis I think it depends. I think because I think it depends because I think if you think historically of the Afro salons that are about, I mean, you're talking about things like Splinters. They were, I mean, Splinters was one of the first Afro salons in the West End. Ebony of Mayfair was another um, Afro salon, and they were all in the West End at the seventies and eighties. And like Kim said, your more professional women would go to those kind of salons. But I think women have always gone to salons, whether it be. your local salon or someone who was a hairdresser working from home but they were far and few apart and I think more salons came to the high street I would say from my aspect (laughs) to the late 70s early 80s yeah yeah so so 
Anne, what was your experience in training and running salons? Have you seen it? Right. So I train in a small town in France. And the salon I was working was Caucasian, 100%. I didn't have, never, never touch Afro hair. Then I worked in various salons in Paris. Uh, again, never had an Afro hair client. And when I moved to UK, uh, yeah, I just didn't, never touched it. Literally never touched it until I opened my own salon, and I am guilty of a client walking through the door and me saying, I'm sorry, I don't do Afro hair. And what I was saying this, I was thinking, what am I saying? I'm, I'm actually turning business away. I must be mad. But I was very scared of that hair because I had in my head that it was different. Now I know it's not different. Hair is hair. It's made of keratin. I mean, I see it's got, uh, you know, cuticle uh, to protect it. It's the same stuff. But... In my training, I certainly never, ever touch Afro hair. Never. And in a college, never. And Justine, what about when you had a team working in a salon with you? Would you find people joining you who had good, broad experience or was it quite compartmentalised? definitely not. I mean, my salon was based in the Cotswolds and um, our clientele. We We had probably a handful of clients that had more textured hair and probably only two with Afro hair. But my experience really was working backstage in fashion. So I gained my confidence and my abilities there. So I could then obviously transfer those into the salon. So we never had an issue if that, you know, if the the client came um, into the salon, there was always a hairdresser that could cater for them. Right, yeah. But it wasn't um, like Jackie talks of a a mixed clientele. Um, Ours was not a full mixed clientele, no. no. And I think me and Anna are in a similar area in the country as well, aren't we, Anne? Mm. Kind of around Oxford. Well, Oxford is totally mixed mixed clientele. It's just that they weren't coming in very, very diverse. Uh, Now I have that clientele in the salon, but I... When I opened the salon, I, I was turning the people away because I just didn't know how to, to yeah, cope yeah. with it. Ki- yeah. So, Kim, that comment Anne's made about hair is hair, I know you have quite a strong view on what how we refer to different hair types. What's your take on that? Uh, you know, we were just, you know, talking about, you know, where we where we trained, where we're coming from and everything. And I guess for me, because that is all I've ever known is hair is hair, because we would have a European stylist working on one side, doing Afro and European hair, we'd have an Afro uh, stylist on the other side, doing Afro hair and European hair, Asian hair. So we would never felt that, oh, the, 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 you know, the Afro stylist stayed on that side and Europeans, everyone was mixed. So... I just know it as hair is hair. Not, you know, I guess I worked in Clapham, so it was it was a mix, you know, clientele in the area. Yeah. So everybody walked in. It was no one never turned away. So like I said, I've never really experienced that. And I've worked with many a product company, um, Afro-European. I've worked with, so it, we've always been able to cover everything and everybody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jackie, what is the situation with people training? Is it improving our people? I know that there is provision for training in black Afro textured hair, but it's possible, or until now, it's been possible to avoid training on that. Um, are people getting better at 
being able to deliver good training? Are people getting more adventurous about wanting that training? I think you've hit a nerve there. I think it's about the want. I think people have got to want it because the training has always been there. And it, I, I, I do get quite irritated when people say, oh, well, you know, I don't know where to go. Well, you know, if I wanted to go and learn colour, I'd know where to go to find colour and learn and be trained in colour. And I just think it's, in my opinion, a little bit of a cop out to say that the training's not there. I think people need to be held a little bit more accountable in terms of organisations, um, especially colleges. I mean, private companies, they're free to pick and choose what element of delivery they want to do. But I think public public sector colleges should be held far more accountable to ensure that everybody that comes into their arena is given the opportunity to learn all hair types because it is the foundation of education. Whether you choose to use it when you leave is um, completely up to you. But for me, I always say it's like going to school and deciding that you don't want to learn algebra. You would never be allowed not to learn algebra. I had to learn algebra. I've never used it (laughs) since I've left school, but I had to learn it. And and I just think that that is the same emphasis that should be put on hairdressing. You should not... I think it's... as Kim says, we're, I, you know, just listening to Kim talk, I think we've, it just makes you realise how fortunate we were because we did work in an environment where it was just hair and you just got into it and your training was across the board. And I feel very yeah. sorry for people that didn't experience that. And it makes you realise that when you are expressing your opinion, you have to be mindful that not everybody has come from that. So, Anne, I was going to say, you you commented that you had specifically sought out education for yourself and you've now shared that with your team. What was the sort of how how did they embrace the idea of learning to work? Were people still shy of it, very nervous of it? How did you? Uh, so mo- all most of the team have really embraced it brilliant I have one guy you keep saying to me yeah it's all very well but I still don't want to do it for hair and I said well you can't say that you just don't have that option it's like you saying I don't want to do blonde I don't do red you just you do hair you're a hairdresser and you will get training until you do it I'm not uh, I'm not going to book clients until you're confident, but you will get it. You will have to do it. It's like, you know, you have a stylist who say, oh, I don't do kids' haircut. Well, nobody likes doing kids' haircut, but you still do it. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, you know what I mean. Um, so I just don't give people the option, basically. Yeah. They just have to do it. If they work in the salon, everybody does it. And if you need training, I'll give you training. Not necessarily me personally, but I'll, I'll organise the training, but they will have to do yeah, it. yeah. And Justine, I know I've been with you when we've been on shoots and talked to models, for example, who've, who have said how how upsetting or, or challenging it could be to go on a shoot or for a show and find that nobody can do your hair or nobody wants do to do hair. your hair and that that makes mm. them feel really... It's really bad. I mean, I run teams and it's always at the start of the show, who can do Afro hair? You know, and you get the one or possibly two people. I've worked with Anne backstage. I knew Anne was great at hair. (laughs) You know, so um, that was great. But it is always having to ask. It's not, you know, I will place the model in the chair. So I want to make sure that that model is being looked after. Yeah. Not being put with somebody that is incapable. Yeah. Now, I do find... One of the um, the things that people most fear, hairdressers fear, 
is the variety of curl patterns on one head. And I was just going to say to the ladies, how would you approach that? Because I think, you know, if you've got the, the basic understanding of Afro hair, then surely that you can then build on that and actually build your confidence going into, you know, a backstage environment, working on models hair, because they do, you know, they could be 10, 12 models, female, male in the lineup, and they've all got varying curl patterns and varying hair, you know, hairstyles. I think that I think the 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 notice that uh, Nikki put up with the hair, the different hair types, I think that is an absolute must first and foremost i think that has to be introduced. my curl chart yes there has to be introduced um maybe it's something that you 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 have when you you know when you're backstage and say right you know and, and maybe mark them and say right she's got this curl pattern and maybe they may get it from that if they've got that visual there of, of the of the chart so that maybe that may help in that situation yeah, yeah. So this is my my curl chart. I was showing the the um, the guests just before we started talking. Jackie, you were explaining that this concept of different curl types is quite a recent one, as in the last sort of fifteen years or so. How explain it to to people listening who might not have been educated using a curl chart? Um, I always say to people just to keep it in the most simplistic terms is think of your colour chart. You know on a colour chart a six is a dark blonde regardless wherever you are in the world. There may be variations in shade but it's a dark blonde. And to me the hair classification chart is exactly that. You know that anything that sits at a one is straight hair. Anything that sits at a four is going to be your tightest curl formation. And then anything between a two and a three you're working between wave curl into your tighter curl patterns and then from that it's about really referencing the kind of products that are going to be required for that hair type so you know the lower the number on the scale is the less moisture that's required because the cuticle layers are tightly packed and the lower the higher the number is on the other side of the scale is the more moisture you're going to need so even in terms of doing a shoot you know that if you're packing your bag if you know the brief that you're going to have clients or models from all descripts you know that you're going to need to have products that fit that model um script yeah yeah um. yeah i think i'd say that to justin when you go to your sometime if you go to on the backstage of a fashion week whoever's product company sponsored the the show there might not be the specific product for that hair type and with afro hair you need product and you need the product to do the job with caucasian hair you can get away with whatever but not with afro hair you've got to have the product yeah and that and i have known models sitting in my chair getting the product off their bag and saying to me do you mind using that product because i know it works on their hair but I think yeah. to answer Justine's question in terms of curl pattern, uh, you know, I'll go back to um, our salons that we worked in. I can remember working at Ebony and Ivory, and again, because I'm the manager, not because I'm a geek, our clientele in terms of cut and finish clientele was like a 98% Caucasian clientele. But the texture of hair that we worked on was very much curly hair because we had a lot of, you know, people think, you know, curly hair is just an afro issue it's not there are a lot of caucasian clients that do not get good service based on their curl pattern because they everyone assumes they want their hair blow dried straight and you'll find 
if I'm not wrong, in a lot of black salons, they have a high volume of white clients that have curly hair because they understand how to manage curl pattern and curl type. So to me, it's about if a hairdresser wants to understand texture and understand, you know, how um, to manage that curl pattern and hair type, it's really start looking at clients that are sitting in your chair and really start looking at the hair itself, start examining it far more, start understanding porosity far more, understanding elasticity far more, because once you get those two things, any curl texture that sits in your chair, you will have a better understanding of. Yeah. So, so Kim, that brings us round to products. Mm -hmm. um, so you have a, a you know a diverse clientele, diverse. Do you carry lots of ranges, and and um, how, it, how important is it to have the right products? We we, we don't carry a, 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 we our main our main is um, at Avalon. It's Carrick Hair, and uh, but we we do use Goldwell um, for our colours uh, and KMS as well for for aftercare um, products as well. So. You know, we, we, we carry the KMS, um, I want to say just for European hair, because we can sell it to like all hair types again. We can sell it to all hair types, yeah. obviously. And again, I have, like Jackie said, you know, there's so many more people now you're finding with, you know, different types of textured hair because there are people that are now living in England and moving from different countries and they're mixing, the cultures are mixing a lot, lot more now. So you do find you, 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 um, people with children that are coming in with different, their, their daughter's hair's curly, their son's hair slightly straighter, and but they've got one product in the cupboard, you know, so they, <laughs> they're needing the help to say, okay, you know, you need this one for your son, you need this one for your daughter. And it's, you know, they need that, that range now yeah totally mixed origin yeah mm. so it reflects so sort of so Anne, sort of in the group you seem to be the one that sort of made the 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 most recent sort of focus a positive effort to, to try and bring in a wider clientele and make a better offering with that so presumably you've had to get the products to go with that yeah so i mean i haven't made that change recently i've made it quite a long time i've had my salon for 30 years and I, I straight away I realized it was stupid to to turn away clientele so I tried to get training now I have to say 30 years ago it really wasn't easy and also actually black client didn't trust me because I suppose I'm white so they just thought she doesn't know how to do hair and um, so I found myself in that catch-22 situation where I would get training and then because I was charging uh, quite a f quite an expensive amount of money, um, I didn't get the, the client in the chest straight away. So I would then lose my confidence. And when the client came in, I thought, oh, my God, I can't really charge that. I'm not that good. And because I'm a bit of a perfectionist, I don't I wouldn't I didn't really want to charge if I didn't feel I was good enough. So it was really a, a catch 22 situation. I find myself I uh, partnered with Avalon and that I it's when it really changed for me. And I don't know, I've been working with Avalon maybe, I don't know, 15 years or so. I can't remember now. Uh, and that's because, of course, the training was more what I'm used to training by your, by your product manufacturer. Yeah. And it was good quality training. Yeah. So that's important. So Jackie, the training going hand in hand with using a product range Yeah, is uh, I mean, important. to be fair, for Avalon, just to back up the question that you were asking, you know, in Europe, there are very, well, near no, 
manufacturers for this sector of the marketplace. Most of the manufacturers do come from America. And in fact, to be fair to the American manufacturers, including Avalon themselves, they, I would say, are 90% um responsible for the training that hairdressers like myself have because they were the ones that bought the knowledge they were the ones that educated us on our hair type and how to work effectively with our hair i think dr saeed who is the founder of avalon took it one step further because of the research that he did in our hair type and understanding the impacts of when you're using chemicals or using different um, shampoos and conditioners, the impact it had on curly, tight, coiled hair. And it was really making sure that women, black women, had products that allowed their hair to feel as good as it could feel. Because before that time, we were using a lot of harsh products on our hair that actually... Yes, it did the job, but it didn't do the job and leave your hair in good, consistent condition. And until 84, when Avalon first launched, especially with their relaxer systems, they were one of the first relaxers that you could actually walk down the street and identify a client that had an firm relaxer because it was just heads and shoulder above all other straightening systems. I mean... 30 years later we take that for granted now but at the time that was like wow and even in terms of shampoos and conditioners up until that point the ph of the shampoos and conditioners that were used on this hair type was quite severe and left the hair quite dry so you had to complement by putting a hell of a lot more pomades and things like that in the hair for it to even feel remotely normal and you know avalon kind of changed the game for that and used a lot more science behind the products to make sure that we were leaving that integrity in the hair so in terms of training we did a lot more on educating the hairdressers on the practical and the science behind what they were doing and the impact. So it gave the hairdressers a lot more confidence to talk to clients about chemicals, to talk to clients about treatments and to deliver a level of service that up until that point was there, but it just took it, in my opinion, to the next level. Yeah, the products were, and I was always taught that, you know, black hair was so fragile and so prone to breaking, but actually the products were with the problem. It was definitely the products. Mm, sorry. I'd, I'd like to ask off the back of that, Nikki, is um, do the ladies think that we should introduce protective hairstyles such as Bantu knots, cornrows, twist outs, you know, even hair threading? It's kind of, you know, it's being put out there now by some of the, the top hairdressers and, you know, it's really cool, really edgy, but it is a protective hairstyle so do you think that's something that is worth bringing into the salon or would you say no leave it for kind of shows shoots editorial it looks great but you wouldn't advise it so it makes me laugh when I hear that because I mean they've been around for ever in a day yeah and the word protective styling again is in my opinion a marketing spin that's been put on hairstyles that traditional afro salons have been doing for years absolutely years now how they have been used um i think again social media all these other kinds of um energies have come into the playing field and kind of turn them on their head to make them something that possibly they're not for me 
you're going to have a clientele that will wear those kind of hairstyles and you will have a hairdresser that will advise that client on how to maintain their hair in those kind of hairstyles. Things like threading are traditional hairstyles that have been used to support growth, to help aid in yeah. growth. Bantu knots are things that have been used for years in terms of a fashion or even in terms of just maintain your hairstyle just like you'd go to the salon and have your blow dry and keep it for a week bantu not so the same thing you know so yeah. i don't think they're so a- when we was growing up i mean that is what you know now as protective styling was only protective for our our mums to protect their hands because they had loads of you know girl children to be plaiting their hair and it meant that if she plaited it on a sunday night it will carry them through to the weekend because so that was the only protective it's fascinating thing. to me in your view, Kim, do you think that if somebody's going to learn these techniques, is it really important to understand where they come from historically and what they say? Oh, it's extremely important to, to know where it, where it's coming from. Yes, because um, like I, I said, you know, the protective styling thing, you know, is, is stems back from, you know, the jobs that a lot of women did or young girls did or even men as well when they're working out in in the fields uh, or in factories and things like that they had to put their hair away they couldn't have it out you know flowing and you know getting dust and bits and pieces and stuff in it so they had to put it away it wasn't a a, a fashion thing uh, back then it really wasn't when I was growing up I didn't want to be seen going around with with, with, um, threading and and things I wanted my hair to be flowing but my mum had four girls to, to deal with, so it was easier to, to get plaits done, send us to school, one less thing to think about for the, for the week, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's, it is important important to understand, to understand where it's, yeah, yeah where definitely it is. And, and what about the argument? I know last summer um, there was a big argument because Adele, the singer, was seen wearing her hair um, in a style and she was accused of appropriating... Um, black hair heritage do you think that's something that we should be mindful of or do you think that's just... I mean there was I mean anyone would think she was the first one to do. I mean remember when David Beckham had the cane yeah I was about to say David Beckham it was, it was a big thing that went through the roof every man woman child came in and now wanted cane rows because David Beckham had cane rows and we like as you know we've been doing those for years and years and years and now yeah. Adele's done it now and it's it's a big thing I, I, I just stand I mean you know a lot of people claim that Bo Derek was the first person to have cane rows yeah we just accepted it and said okay that's what you want to believe uh, and, yeah that's what you're going to believe yeah. and, and just move on from there. And I think that's I think that's the issue. I think it's the fact that people have been doing this for years and get no recognition for it, and then somebody steps up and does it and gets all the accolade. And you know, I know. I just think you know, for me, the Afro industry has been there, especially the British Afro industry has been there for a lot of years, and there's been some amazing people that have done a lot to make people like me and people like Kim be able to sit here and do this interview. And I feel a responsibility for that sector to make sure that those people are not forgotten and that our industry and the work that has gone into it doesn't get unrecognised because I think it does, it's done its bit and it does deserve the accolade that it should get. Yeah, definitely. So my my final question, because the clock has ticked a long way around, it was so interesting. We'll have to make this a regular conversation because I could ask you so many questions. So just just briefly, I'll finish on this one. Um, I'll come to you, you Kim and Anne. 
there's a uh, what about um texture release i know avalon's actually got a product called texture release but this idea of sort of smoothing out or making less curly hair that is naturally very curly or coily do you do you think that that's um a popular thing do you do, there's some anxiety isn't there that we're trying to make people emulate yeah, I, white hair during this lockdown i also worked out on my price list and i had to get my head around all this so i've got a section called texture management in fact that's when i was on yeah. your um, webinar okay. i picked that up and i love it so texture management you've got thermal wonder which is uh well you could tell much better than me what it is you've got mm. thermal wonder texture release relaxer right semi uh you know temporary semi-permanent permanent and that's really easy to to understand and to classify yeah those different services and kim how do you feel about those services yourself yeah no um i agree with van that's a really good that's a really good point there and i might have to take that as well (laughs) (laughs) i think it's jackie's copyright actually (laughs) from jackie Um, yeah no i think it's a really good way to uh, you know explain if it's broken down that way explain to the client and you know another way um which is which is a good term for the client as well is to say it's a it's a it's a non-chemical relaxing system and they love that the fact that oh it's not a chemical i don't have to grow it out anymore i don't have to cut it out and you know when you say it's it's just going to make your hair manageable we never say it's going to make it straight because some people don't want it to go straight they just want it to be manageable and and that's what texture release is about is, is, is to make it manageable because people's lives uh lifestyles are, are so different now and they just need it you know to be able to get with yeah. their day with a little bit of manageability yeah. management and and the choice so just a fine little word from from each of our three guests um from justin justine and i to say thank you very much for coming but just as a final word what would be um a quick word of encouragement to somebody listening who perhaps hasn't um so far had the confidence or the expertise what would you say to motivate them jackie let's ask you first i think i think british hairdressing I mean, I've been fortunate to travel and do hair like I'm sure both my colleagues here have. And the one thing I come back all the time is is how proud I am to be a British hairdresser. I think we're a phenomenal industry. And I think, you know, it's important that we stay abreast with times. You know, there are reports that by 2025, the texture market will outshine straight hair and coily hair. So in order for our businesses to thrive, it's important that we upgrade our knowledge and we pursue new um, innovation for new clients because the clients that are going to be coming through the doors of salons are going to change dramatically over the next few years so as hairdressers we do need to educate ourselves and prepare ourselves and our next generation of hairdressers for that and I just think let's just keep doing the good work that we have been doing and soldier on yeah brilliant Anne, what would you say to motivate someone to go for it? So just to remember that hair is hair and also that knowledge is power. And if you've got the knowledge, it takes the fair away. For me, that's really been so true. I I was worried. It's not that I didn't want to do it. I was just worried about it and I just wanted to do my best. But as soon as I educated myself, I love it. I love working with hair, full stop, every hair. Brilliant. And Kim? Yeah, the, the education is, 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 is key. It's, it's so important for the client 
and also um, for your staff members and your team. Uh, it, it would just make everything gel, make everyone understand what each person is saying and their and their their needs, and it just makes your your life a lot easier. It, it makes your job a lot more enjoyable. Brilliant. Ladies, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us as well, Justine. Thank you to Anne, Kim and Jackie. Thank you. Thank you to our sponsor, Zaflon, for bringing us together. Lovely to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was super interesting. What did you think, Justine? Oh, I think it's amazing. It's really great to see the insight and actually hear um, from the educators, really, that are, you know, paving the way to get other salons on board. It's really encouraging. They're very positive. You know, I just feel that maybe salon owners need to reach out and actually get trainings booked and get the education booked for their yeah, teams. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And I think it's really important to have a good, well, in any aspect of hairdressing, if you have a good relationship with your product company and um, Avalon certainly has, well, Jackie's amazing and she's one of their educators and, and people are so nice. If you don't know what you're doing, just ask the question and don't be exactly. shy of asking. Yeah. No, it's brilliant. And like Anne said, it's take away the fear. Thank you to everybody for listening. That was the Respectfully podcast with Jackie McIntosh, Kim Johnson, Anne Vec, and Justine Collins, my lovely colleague here. If you like what you listen to, don't forget to rate and review us as it helps drive us up the chart. And also visit our library of previous conversations. You're sure to find something to interest you. Until next time, goodbye. Bye.